Kaya Drive with Cizwe, Monday to Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. On Kaya 959. Let me take you back Hello. in time before you even born, right? I was in high school between 1996 and 2000, right? So essentially, you can't say the beginning of the internet, so to speak, uh, to where the dot-com bubble burst, right, in 2000. And in that time, there was no bigger hero, to us anyway, than Bill Gates. Uh, a lot of people were like, man, if you are going to understand the future, you're going to need to understand computers, right? Mm-hmm. And then I've noticed that their sentiments kind of waned maybe over the last five to seven years. But I don't think it's been truer now than any time ever in the history of just our country and the world. Uh, people are speaking about AI There's all sorts of discussions about cryptocurrency uh, NFTs Smart contracts uh, And these are all things that I think Yeah, you can understand them Like at surface level And that's okay just for you to transact and work But when it gets to the minutia of it And how it actually works And why it is so complex And why it is that a tweet that is sent by Elon Musk At 9pm can rock the markets and make you lose over 250 billion dollars in like nine hours then i suppose you want to dig down and get to the detail of what is going on so just to give you context yesterday elon musk who's obviously owner of tesla released a statement via twitter saying that tesla would now no longer be accepting bitcoin as a form of payment and they'll come out about three months prior saying they're going to accept Bitcoin and people are so excited. You know, Bitcoin price rallied. Everything was great. After that announcement, literally all cryptocurrencies took a dip and a heavy one. What? Rocked the markets. I mean, to, to put it into perspective, the Bitcoin market cap is sitting at about one trillion US dollars. So when you lose 20% of that, 200 billion gone. Right? But there's more to it. There's Ethereum, there's Dogecoin, there's so many other cryptos that when Bitcoin sneezes, they catch the flu too. Uh, And so then I thought maybe it's time we discuss exactly how cryptocurrencies work. And I got on the phone, I spoke to Kuku first, and I said, Kuku, let's unfoopy. How do you feel about having this discussion? And I know you guys at Kaya Biz have had the discussion from a consumer perspective about, okay, fine, you can invest in cryptos in this way. You can also transact using cryptos in this way. But we've never really spoken about the back end of it. Because it's complex. Super. And that's why you called someone else to join us for this conversation, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, so I called a mutual friend of ours, uh, Jan from Ulan, uh, editor at large at my broadband. Uh, and so we're going to get to it maybe after the break. But before we even get started, maybe let me start off by saying, for me, one of the most complex things I've ever had to deal with was digital systems, right? Uh, just like studying that is super, super difficult. Well, for me anyway, my mind just to come to terms with like binary digits, hexadecimals, Boolean algebra, all of that stuff. Okay, just simplify that for the rest of us. Well, no, he's, he's going right? to do that. So essentially, right? You the word I think bit. coding, I yeah. think 01101000011. That's as far back as I can remember about anything that has to do with computers and putting systems together. Yeah. <laughs> Let me kill the bed, actually, because you're absolutely correct. That's exactly it, right? So binary digits or a bit is that, uh, just a zero and one. 
And if you're going to transmit information, I suppose the more zeros and ones you have, the more information you can then transmit. And I think Jan maybe can take over at this point. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you very much for, for calling me in. I'll, I'll try to make it as entertaining as possible, not as boring as uh, some of my teachers and Please. lecturers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I remember in high school as well. We actually went to high school around the same time. I graduated mm. in 2001. Mm. Um, so uh, that, that's, you know, when somebody asks me, Jan, where were you at 9-11? I was like, studying for my physics prelim. Um, you don't want to know where I was though then. <laughs> Oh, school. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I remember, you know, doing computer studies and stuff. And, and even then, you know, not to toot my own horn, but, you know, above average intelligence, good at math, good at science. And uh, coming to grips with different number systems, you know, you grow up with, you count to 10, mm. right? And all of a sudden, you know, with computer science, you have to learn, no, no, but sometimes you count to eight, and sometimes you just count to two, mm. and sometimes you count to 16. Mm-hmm. Now, for older folks, they're like, yo, counting to 16, no problem. They had to learn their 16 times tables. When I was in school, I had to learn my 12 times tables. I don't know if that still has to happen. You know, we had to learn how to do, you know, multiplication by 12. Our parents had to do by 16 because they still worked in pounds and ounces and, you know, furlongs per weekend squared. I don't know, uh, mm. weird measurements. And, um, but now, you know, it, it completely uh, shifts your mind when you, when you have to like think, okay, no, but instead of going from zero to nine, when you count, you just go from zero to one. So, you know, all of a sudden, if you want to represent a number like 624, uh, you know, you, you, and all you have is strings of ones and zeros, what does that look like and why does it work that way? And so there's this, uh, computer science is this mixture of like mathematics and physics and just wizardry when you, when you get down to the programming level. Um, so, with that out the way, let's simplify it a mm. bit. Exactly as you said, um, is a zero or a one is how we represent it. But inside a computer, it's an electronic signal. Now, the reason we use bits is because they're easy to detect in electronics. So uh, you, you're able to encode instructions and data uh, in, in a simple way and, and in a way that the microelectronics that took off at the, at the start of the, you know, just before the personal computer revolution was, was ever a, a twinkle in anyone's eye, the transistor had to be invented. And th- that's the thing that made all these computers that, that used to, you know, like the, the kinds of computers that would put the man on the moon, the first man on the moon, would stand, you know, whole rooms full. And that computing power now fits in our pocket. Mm. For that to have become a reality, we needed the transistor and microelectronics. And those things... Uh, as it as it happened, worked very well with bits, and so that's uh, why we talk about bits, and uh, and where Bitcoin gets its name from. But in reality, all currency is Bitcoin because we move it all around <laughs> the world with bits. But Bitcoin is the only one with that name. Now, Bitcoin. Let me just stop you right there because now when you're speaking about bits, right? If you moving information or transmitting information, then becomes apparent that after a while. You're going to need to keep that information safe, right? Either from corruption or theft. Right. And then you introduce cryptography. Right. And and uh, hand in hand with blockchain. So uh, the, the early days of computing, I don't know how many people remember this, but 
uh, you know, the number of times that, that you know, businesses who had just started adopting computers and then you go, sorry, we can't do anything. The hard drive's crashed, mm. right? That's not a reality anymore because of cloud services. Like you back up everything to Google, you know, Apple, whoever will take your data for free. You, you give it to them and they keep it safe for you. And uh, the, the, the idea behind blockchain is partly that and partly to have a record of transactions that anybody can see, that anybody can verify, and uh, that are unchanging, unchangeable, right? And how do you do that? You distribute it. Instead of going, the hard drive crashed, now it has to go, every hard drive in the world has crashed, to wipe this out, but it's not, not quite that bad, but pre- pretty good. I mean, we've got Bitcoin nodes in space. Some dude during the height of the last Bitcoin craze launched a satellite with a Bitcoin node on it. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, 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 amount of, the, the amount of backups for the Bitcoin blockchain uh, is immense. And that's, what, uh, th- that's part of this data storage problem that gets solved as well. And then the, the data privacy and the data security side of things, that's where cryptography kicks in. And I know you wanted to talk a little bit about that. We will get into that. Just now, we need to just pause and go to traffic. When we come back, uh, then we'll delve deep into the issue of cryptography. And then, Google, I know you got a question as well. Kaya. 959. On the street, on the air. This is Kaya Drive. We're doing a piece that is essentially Kaya Biz Extended, right? It's going to lead us into Kaya Biz. <laughs> uh, and he's speaking about cryptocurrencies. Uh, we started off at the very beginning. If you missed that, it'll be available on podcast. But in studio, we're joined by Jan from Mulin from my broadband and, of course, Google Ads and the host of Kaya Biz. Before we took traffic, that break, and the song, Jan, you're going to speak about cryptography. Yes, and... So the the basic idea behind cryptography is that you want to send something, a message or some other piece of information to someone over a public network, a network that anybody can see, Mm. right? And so what you do is you encode that message on your end with a key that only you and the person you are sending to have. Mm -hmm. And and this is where things get a, a, a little technical and a little hairy, but when you've got the same key, like a password on either side, that is quite hackable. You don't, mm. you don't want that. They call that symmetric key cryptography, mm. right? And so what you, uh, what you want is uh, what they call private public key cryptography. So you've got two keys, one private, one public. The public key you put on the internet and anybody can uh, get your public key, write a message to you, encode it using your public key, and only you can decrypt that message using your private key. Mm. So as long as your private key is safe, then you are able, uh, then, then anything that is sent to you is safe. Um, and uh, to, to, to make this real, well, like so, a story that made this real for me was Operation Vula in the 80s um, here in South Africa where um, the ANC had a need to to communicate between its operatives. They were all quite isolated from one another. The pressure was on. And so uh, this, uh, this, this cryptography system was developed um, by uh, one of the technical brains inside the organization. And this is how the ANC was partly able to communicate with Nelson Mandela while the NP government was trying to isolate him from the rest of the party so that they could think that, you know, they're only negotiating with Mandela. Mm. But instead, they're negotiating with a whole party who was able to get messages to him using this kind of crypto. I want to jump powerful, in there, because powerful. I think anyone who's listening to this will be mind blown because there was no WhatsApp back then, no Telegram. Uh, so how did that actually work in terms 
terms of how the codes or the messaging got to yeah them. yeah like old school like in in the um in the the museum in kwazulu natal where where mandela was captured mm. i don't remember the name of the place now there's a beautiful installation showing this the the, the guy who developed the system donated a bunch of equipment to them old school computers old school portable computers laptops and good old discs uh, stiff floppy disks and stiffy disks that were passed and they, they had um, helpers from uh, the Netherlands and so on that helped ferry information from um, operatives in exile back into South Africa, back into Africa in general um, on these floppy disks and, and that's how they were unfortunately caught out. This was the one weakness in the system is the person who developed the system says once you've decrypted the messages you need to destroy them because mm-hmm. I haven't built the system yet that you can store the messages again in, in a secure manner mm-hmm. and they did didn't destroy them. I think Mac Maharaj and uh, and Siabonga Kwele were were uh, the the um, sinners here. Where I, I, if, if I recall the story correctly, where they didn't destroy the messages and then they got caught. Mm. Um, and so yeah, you, you, if you go back to that those days, you'll see these news reports of of how the ANC was busted uh, with uh, these clandestine messages passing between operatives. Joined in the studio by Jan van Mielen and uh, Gugum Fupi having a discussion about cryptography. And I know right now you're thinking, where is this all going? But we need to start off with the building blocks before we get to where we are today. And if you just joined us, this is Kaya Drive. But also, this is Kaya Drive marrying Kaya Biz, so to speak. Uh, because we have a discussion <laughs> about cryptocurrency. George the studio by Google Let's Fufi. That's her laughing in the background. We've also got a good friend in the studio, uh, Jan from Yellen from My Broadband. Okay, so before we took sports, we were then speaking about cryptography and you spoke about uh, basically how you send an information or send a piece of information uh, using a very accessible piece of network but based on how you encrypt it and the keys that you use nobody will know what you're sending except the sender and the receiver exactly tell us about computing power right because obviously to be able to do this you need some power you spoke about transistors uh, transistors then later became chips Etc. and so on. So tell us about that. Yeah. So the the same principles that's used in cryptography to encode a message and make it easy for the other side uh, to to decrypt, but very difficult for the 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 you know any attacker to get at, is what's used to secure the Bitcoin blockchain. Right now, now here's the thing: is effectively what the Bitcoin algorithm requires is that people who mine Bitcoin must effectively try to crack. What they call a hash. So I'm going to jump in there. Yes. You mentioned mine, you mentioned blockchain as well. Uh, maybe if we can just decipher those two, because blockchain is not a type of cryptocurrency, Correct. which is a you know, common belief that some people have. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Yeah, we need to take a step back. So, blockchain is the name that uh, has emerged for the, 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 the technology in general. Mm-hmm. So, th- that is the actual um, uh, the ledger. Thing, yeah, the actual ledger, the thing that, that, that uh, you know, keeps track of the transactions. Uh, whereas a Cryptocurrency is a token that uh, is associated with a blockchain, usually like Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So it happens now that Bitcoin runs on the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, but like, for example, Ethereum, which I think a lot of people have heard about now as well, yeah. the, the token for the Ethereum blockchain, still quite confusing, is Ether. So th- there is a distinction. So the cryptocurrency is Ether, but the blockchain is Ethereum. 
Perfect. Okay. So that makes sense. Essentially using it that as a tool to kind of track the debits and the credits or ledger as has been yeah. described. And then mining, I think a lot of people actually think of physically going down deep digging, looking for Bitcoin, but it's actually the creation or when they exchanged, if I'm not mistaken, between it, parties. It, it's, it's different for different blockchains. In the case of the Bitcoin blockchain, this is now when you harness your computing power, you bring in your computing power and you basically uh, re- uh, do a reverse cryptographic process on um, on a set of transactions. So when when a bunch of transactions are flowing over the Bitcoin blockchain, miners, it's called the mempool. So you get all these, ter- okay. these terms, right? So the mempool is where all uh, pending transactions go. So then miners go and look in the mempool, they grab a bunch of transactions, they bundle them into a block blockchain, right? Um, and then they do like basically the reverse process of what you would do when you are encrypting something, you know, or, or when you're trying to uh, send an encrypted message to some someone. They, they reverse that process. And the reason is it's difficult. Um, so because uh, the, the basic principle behind cryptography is that when you encrypt something, it must be impossible for the other side to crack it. Mm-hmm. Now, Bitcoin works on that same pr- principle, except they, they use stuff that's not quite impossible to crack. They've, they've got like uh, a system in place where you've got to uh, cal- do a bunch of calculations until you uh, find what they call a hash. Mm-hmm. That is, uh, and, and you can think of a, of a hash as like a solution to a block um, that that is like a signature to that block is is, a, is possibly a way to look at it. Caesar wants Maybe to let me in. just jump in here to try and simplify it. It's a very simple analogy. But if, for example, I was sending you, I don't know, two figures, right? Uh, let's say two and four, right? Uh-huh. If I decided that to encrypt these two figures, we'll multiply them by 16, and that's essentially it. But then I tell you, okay, I've multiplied them by 16. So when you get two multiplied by 16, you're going to get 32, right? And then when you get four multiplied by 16, you're going to get 64, right? But if I haven't told you that I've multiplied them by 16, you're just going to get two numbers. And you're never going to know what the original number is. But if I tell you that I multiplied them by 16, you can then factorize upon receipt of those numbers. And then you get the original numbers that I sent you. And essentially there you've got... It, it, something's been encrypted and decrypted. Yes. Makes Ex- sense. Exactly that. Um, exactly that. It's a mathematical, it's a, it's actually um, complicated math, but it's multiplication is actually a very good analogy for that. But that jumps into the power element or the energy element, right, that you mentioned. And a lot of people, when we hear about Bitcoin, there's always about it uses so much energy, uses so much uh, power. And that actually goes back to the Elon Musk tweet, uh, mm. looking to actually say, hold on, we're not taking these Bitcoin uh, investments anymore or payments anymore because it's consuming too much energy and goes against our sustainability principles. I recently just saw a chart about energy consumption of Bitcoin in comparison to other nations. And I'm talking about countries. This is like terawatts. I had to Google how much is a terawatt of electricity because it's it's a huge amount of energy consumption. And I guess that's where the question also comes into energy, right? Or power. Hold it right there because we need to go to traffic. And after that, then we'll discuss the issue of power. Kaya 959. On the street, on the air. Welcome back to Kaya Drive, uh, 959, a very special edition of it. It's kind of like Kaya Biz Extended. Join the studio by Google Lesson Fulpi, the host of Kaya Biz. Uh, we've also got Jan from Merlin from my broadband, and it's at large there. And we're having a discussion about cryptocurrencies. And in depth discussion, we started off very complex, uh, but we'll simplify it. And you, I guess you'll understand why it had to start off this way uh, in the beginning. So before we went to traffic, you were speaking about 
the power, right? The computing power of cryptography. Uh, you spoke about hashes, for example, uh, specifically on the Bitcoin network. I think the last time I checked, it's like 75 hexa hashes per second, right? Uh, which is quite a lot. I mean, that's... That's like French season. Well, I'm trying to explain <laughs> now, right? So to, to, to compute that kind of power will take about seven to eight gigawatts, right, of computing power And I think just for people to understand, yeah, usual households what consume kilowatts of electricity. Yes. So this is like stadiums and stadiums of this power. Is, this is like a thousand more than that, Oof. right? So yeah. to go from a gig, so it's, it's, it's pretty hectic. And... It's you more know, power than, than ESCOM produces. Yes. Boom. Yes. And, and to, to give you a monetary value, right? The kind of power is about maybe 9 million US dollars a day, which is 3.3 billion US dollars a year that you require to compute this. Because as you can imagine, the more complex the arithmetic is, the more power you need to crack it. So now when Elon Musk comes out and he goes, guys, just in terms of energy efficiency alone, we cannot accept this form of payment now because it's not green and renewable, renewable energy. That's the point he's trying to make. Don't Whether or Tesla not, cars run on the same electricity as the Bitcoin blockchain? Let's not even get started on the <laughs> fact that they work on batteries, <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Oh, look at that. Jan from Milan's on TV as well. Oh, I'm getting distracted. <laughs> What's happening in the background? <laughs> you basically, there's, yeah, there's you doing another piece on a news station. Oh, like that, cool. Yeah. Nice. Anyway, that so let's get back to the conversation, right? And stop being geeky about it. Sure. Now that this does use up all that power and it essentially has to be on 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 365 days a year until the end of time. Is it worth all of this power that we use to keep the blockchain active. Yeah, and and you, I don't want to hand wave this away. It, it is absolutely true that Bitcoin uses a tremendous amount of energy that, uh, you know, is it is it worth it is a conversation that is still really up for debate. I guess we'll see. I mean, right now, Bitcoin has proven itself to be a really resilient De- and and depreciate uh, like um, uh, de- uh, depreciating, but uh, oh sorry, not depreciating, deflationary store of value, right? So, in other words, um, if uh, if I look at money that I put in the bank here in South Africa versus money that I put on the Bitcoin blockchain in 2017, the amount of growth that I saw from saving, and I put that in extreme inverted commas, italics you know, underline, like uh, it's 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 yeah. not saving, but it's it's risky, it's speculative. But my, my rate of return on Bitcoin so far outpaces anything. Okay. Anything, right? And so is it worth it in that sense as a as a store of value? So far, yes, right? So so that's the one thing. But the other thing that we have to talk about is the is the uh, the the absolutism with which the uh, energy consumption of the Bitcoin blockchain is looked at. Because, yeah, I mean, it's quite grabby. You know, you run a headline like Bitcoin uses more power, uh, eight times more energy than Facebook and Google combined. Mm. It, it, it uses um, uh, more energy than Argentina. Ireland, now Malaysia, it recently overtook Malaysia, mm. you know, then, then a whole country, like a whole small country. There's, there's no getting around that. But like, let's, let's compare it to the total energy consumption of the US and China, who also participate in the system. So to measure, you know, the, the energy consumption of the system against the smallest users of that system is, is pretty unfair. 
Now, let me wait on this because essentially we started off with digital systems. I think we can pack that up now because that's the first bit of this discussion. We're going to move on to finance and economics, Google, which is where you're going to come in. Uh, and I bring this because I've spoken to central bank governors and finance ministers, and it's apparent to me that they don't understand cryptocurrencies, even though they understand finance and economics extremely well, because this sits at the intersection of those three things, yes. right? Uh, and so, fine. Now let's speak about what currency and money is just from the financial aspect and monetary aspects. It's a store of value. Yes, you've exactly. mentioned that. And I think that's where the uh, issue of contention has often come up. Hence, Jan was saying that you, you might not necessarily be saving in Bitcoin because the argument that many experts have put forward is that what is the store of value? What is the underlying asset? Uh, previously, you had gold, the gold bars sitting under the ground somewhere. Uh, it's money or currency, which you know is protected by a central bank. And, and you can actually have a claim as to how much that value is. But with the Bitcoin, it's worth $750,000 today or rands today in rand terms. And tomorrow it can be worth... 500,000. Um, and the big question is, what are you actually putting your money in? And hence, a lot of people have said, be careful if you're going to put your money in this and quote unquote save or invest, because as Jan said, it's very speculative. The market can shift it at any day at any time. And I'm glad you bring that up because even with fiat money, right? Or fiat currency, I should say. Yeah. Inflation and deflation happens. We've seen nations that are very rich in natural resources. Uh, you know, you think of Venezuela, for example, that's Zimbabwe. always an example. Yes, right Zim, right next door. Even our own currency, the, the Rand dollar trading pair for Forex traders, which is a whole other rabbit hole, mm. um, is I- incredibly popular because of how volatile it is. Yes. Right? And so we went from 15 Rand to the dollar to 14 Rand to the dollar. If you, if you, you know, shorted or longed in the right direction, mm. like you just made a, a pile of money, right? right? Mm. And, and so in that sense, um, the, the cryptocurrency space is, is quite similar to, to the Forex space in terms of volatility. Um, but there's a whole lot of interesting things happening under the hood, which, is, which uh, normal currencies just don't do. And so there's, there's a whole lot to this. And, and I agree with you completely. It's something that people in traditional finance don't get yet. And you've, like the, I look at what's happening in the cryptocurrency space and the decentralized finance space, um, blockchain development in general. And you have people who sit at that intersection of being geeks, uh, computer programmers, hackers, um, and then also incredibly financially minded. This is this to me reminds me a lot of the early days of the computer revolution, of the mm-hmm. PC revolution. There were a bunch of people then who didn't get it either. One of them was IBM. Um, who came to the party incredibly late and ended up dominating the PC space, even though it was late to the party, right? But like um, the, the, tr- the people who traditionally dominate a space do not understand it until later. And then they come in and then they end up, they, they can end up dominating it if the, the, the smaller players who come in aren't careful. And so now again, this is how I'm going to speak for our general listener who may not understand a word of what you're saying right now, right? But they go, look, when I've got money in my pockets, one thing I do understand without understanding even how the Saab or the banks work is that if I take 10 Rand and I give it to Google, Google will give me something to the value of 10 Rand back, right? Essentially, that's what you can use cryptocurrencies for. Mm -hmm. You can trade cryptocurrencies for whatever it is that you and the person you're having a transaction with can agree upon. It's okay, I'm selling you this for one Bitcoin for simplicity's sake, right? Then you get your house. That's exactly it. But the energy that you would spend getting up from wherever you are, catching a taxi, walking to wherever the person is, 
giving them the money so that they can take it physically, you don't have to do that because this can now be done online, right? And essentially, in order to be able to facilitate that transaction, you're using a different kind of energy, which would be electronic energy, and you can transact with somebody who's millions of miles away without you having to use kinetic energy or physical energy. Right. Makes sense. But online banking offers us, you know, the, the normal payment systems offer us some of that. So whether you've got credit cards or, or debit cards or something like that. Now, where uh, cryptocurrencies and, and blockchain technology provides or has an opportunity it are the, the billions of people in the world who remain unbanked, mm. right? So it's something we don't feel that much in South Africa anymore. Capitech has really made great inroads there. Our digital payment systems are, are really uh, good and mature. But uh, north of us, in the rest of the continent, mm. there's lots and lots of people that remain unbanked. And there's tremendous opportunity there. And you're seeing some cryptocurrency projects going, ah, you know what? These other cryptocurrencies that are targeting the rich and famous, like Ethereum, you know, if you want to buy an NFT, you're pay- paying $100 just in transaction fees and stuff like that. Mm. Um, that's not solving this problem of the unbanked. But there are projects out there that, and I'm going to just name drop them, uh, no affiliation. Yeah, I am invested, disclaimer, <laughs> called Cardano yeah. um, and Ada, who, who just recently announced a partnership in Ethiopia and Tanzania. Um, Those and are interesting markets to be in as well because we know that uh, some of the telco players recently wanted to enter that uh, yeah, yeah. and mobile money is also something. Yeah, yeah. And Vodacom is actually in. This is an article I wanted to do but I haven't gotten around to it yet. Is, is Vodacom is in Tanzania with Mpesa, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And this is the thing. Um, uh, I don't even know if Cardano understands what they're doing yet but they are competing with an established telco who's already solved this problem in some way there, right? But you are locked in. If if you want to do um, digital money transactions in that country and you're using Mpesa, you are locked into the Vodacom network. It's um, the, the second you want to get out of the Vodacom network, it costs a lot of money. Whereas these blockchain networks are ultimately aiming at total interoperability, freedom of choice, freedom of movement. And Vodacom should set up and take notice. But freedom of choice is a good thing. Okay, I do see we have a call and we'll take Pumi in just a moment, Caesar. But I do want to bring up the issue of um, um, anonymity. Uh, and mm. we know that sometimes that's a good thing and a bad thing. Yeah. Um, some people have actually come forward saying that, hold on, blockchain needs to be reviewed because we need to be able to track that Yan is sending Google money that ends up with Caesar instead of it just looking as though Google was never involved and it was a transaction between Yan and Caesar. Yeah, lots of scams. Um, it's the wild west on the, on, in the cryptocurrency space right now because there's almost no regulation oh not only that whenever there's something as complex as this then it does create a lot of opportunity for people to scam others because as you can understand some people don't understand it as well as you may yan or you may google with your financial knowledge now my question is is it viable in our country where there's such a huge digital divide we you know we've got an issue of education basic education is fine but when it comes to understanding numbers uh, that's a hairy, hairy subject there. So maybe just think about that uh, while we take a call from Pumi. Pumi, how's it going? Hi, how are you guys? We well, thank you. Shoot. Good, thank you. I think it's actually quite a very interesting conversation, especially if you want to look at crypto relative to the actual rand or any other currency. Mm. And I think Google will agree with me when we say um, it actually depends. You know, a big economic term that we know, especially if you've done deep economic theory, it all depends on what you view the underlying value of that thing is. But the pinnacle point that makes it useful to everyone is that at depending on who the parties are, it continues to serve as a medium of exchange. And I think that's the fundamental that it actually stands on. Thank you very much for that. And uh, I think she touches on the point. What good is a currency if it's so complex to understand mm-hmm. and also so 
uh, it's not inclusive at all. I mean, this is strictly only for people that are tech-savvy, have access to the education and the electricity to run it. Yeah, and this is the exact same kind of conversations we had at the start of the personal computer revolution, at the start of the internet. Well, you know, what use, how, how is the internet going to democratize access to information when so few people have access to it? And, well... You, you you build it up over time, right? And so the other thing I wanted to point out, uh, we've, we've touched on a couple of things that, that I haven't really spoken to, which is, um, you know, the, the fact that currency, uh, our fiat currencies used to be based on something like gold, mm. right? That, uh, a lot of people out there don't know this. That's no longer the case. No currency in the world is based on the gold standard anymore, right? Mm. It's, it's all fractional reserves or not reserved at all. And so the relative value of a currency is pretty much determined by supply and demand, mm. by faith, right? Basically is, is what determines the, the, the value of a currency. And so um, cryptocurrencies are, are really no different. But the other thing that cryptocurrencies do is they're not just a medium of exchange. There are cryptocurrencies out there where that is their uh, ultimate goal is to be a frictionless, affordable medium of exchange of being able to just transact, you know, give someone uh, some tokens and get some goods or service in return. But now, you know, the infamous story of the person paying 10,000 Bitcoin for a pizza, um, you know, in the early days, what's that Bitcoin worth now, right? Mm-hmm. And so because people can see that we're at the very early days of this revolution and that the the price or the relative value of these uh, cryptocurrencies are, are, are likely going to increase, th- that, that brings resistance, right? You don't want to trade your cryptocurrency for a pizza if that same cryptocurrency tomorrow is going to be worth twice what it is today. Mm. And so this is where you get into much uh, deeper in down the rabbit hole with things like stable coins, right? So, so where you're able to transact on a blockchain in a cryptocurrency that is pegged to a fiat currency, usually US dollar, but there's another interesting project that I've been looking at called Terra. Mm-hmm. And they've got stable coins for, it's a Korean, South Korean project. So um, they, they've um, made themselves a payments network in South Korea. And they've got stable coins for various currencies, including the South Korean one, the, the US dollar, the euro, uh, other stable coins. And so, you know, you, you have it so that people can exchange um, rather in the fiat currencies that currently underpin global economics, rather than trading your very potentially valuable cryptocurrency. I think that's good for an understanding, but also worried about the uh, inequalities that it might just, you know, uh, exacerbate given the current economic climate that we're in. So this is why it's so exciting to see what's happening in Ethiopia. And and I really hope that, you know, it's this it is this massive catalyst for digital inclusion there. Um, but yes, I, I mean, challenges that, that we have to deal with just here at home is that not everybody has a smartphone. Mm-hmm. Right. And and um, di- a lot of digital payments uh, require smartphone apps of some kind. So uh, how do you work around that? And so so, you know, we've got these USSD interfaces and all that stuff. And um, the, the, the cryptocurrency projects that most excite me are the ones who are aware of those problems and they are looking at addressing them. The thing is, you know, we go, yeah, these are short term problems, right? Eventually, we are all going to have smartphones. We are all going to have Internet access. It's going to be super affordable. It's going to be like breathing or drinking water. But we're not. Eventually, is a lovely time of day. Mm. We're not there yet. We have to solve today's problems today first. Yeah. And uh, and it's exciting to see cryptocurrency projects that are looking at that already. And so then we wait for that day where we eventually have a bit rand, a bit dollar, a bit yen, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if we touched on all the corners of the discussion. I don't know if we gave anybody value in the discussion. Uh, but thank you very much for tuning in, nonetheless. Uh, I know it's a complex topic. Uh, hopefully, it helped. 
But Kaibiz will begin after this. Kaya Drive with Seaswear, Monday to Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. On Kaya 959.